0: Welcome to Thoughts in the Market. I'm Andrew Sheets, Chief Cross-Asset Strategist for Morgan Stanley.
1: And I'm Vishi Trukator, Head of Fixed Income Research at Mongstown.
0: And on this special edition of the podcast, we'll be covering a topic on the minds of many investors, what to do when everything seems rich. It's Tuesday, June 8th at 3 p.m. in London.
1: And 10 a.m. in New York.
0: So, Vishy, it's great to talk to you because I think it's safe to say that investors are facing a bit of a conundrum right now. As regular listeners of the podcast have heard us discuss, we're still in early cycle timing in terms of how far we are removed from the last recession – However, market conditions check most of the boxes of a mid-cycle environment, and valuations are decidedly the late cycle. By that, I mean the current valuations across a lot of markets have already priced in a lot of positivity around economic growth. So how do you think fixed income investors should be thinking about markets right now in light of all those dynamics?
1: Yeah, Andrew. In fact, that brings me back to the year 2004. There are some similarities between 2004 and now. The one place I find interesting similarity is in seeking returns by taking on a little bit of complexity. The complexity here is nearly not as complex as some people perceive it, but more importantly, it is driven by the same economic narrative that underlies the broader risk markets. So what I'm arguing here is it is worthwhile digging into the details of some of these products Understand the complexity associated with these products because it is really worth the effort given the potential for returns in this opportunity set. The first opportunity here that I want to highlight is with collateralized loan obligations, CLOs. These are really first order securitizations of corporate loans. And this is no longer a niche market. The outstanding CLO market in the US alone is in excess of 800 billion. So it's a pretty substantial investment opportunity. The structural leverage in CLOs makes the equity tranches very suited for the current conditions because the liability tranche spreads in CLOs have tightened at a much faster clip than the spreads of the CLO assets, thereby creating a potential for very attractive returns of the order of magnitude in mid to high teens over the next 12 months.
0: So Vishy, another area that you and the Morgan Stanley research team has been very focused on is the housing market. This is a, a very big part of fixed income markets. It's a very big part of the economy. And it's a part of the economy I, I think we're pretty constructive on in terms of housing related fundamentals. So how do you see that? And you know, how do you see this idea of a complexity premium applying to housing related assets?
1: The housing market has indeed been very strong. And the strength of the housing market benefits in two different ways. It means borrowers have greater equity in their homes, and therefore they're less likely to default going forward on their mortgages. And also they are more likely to prepay their mortgages. So lower defaults and higher prepayments help a particular corner of the mortgage market, which we call CRT or credit risk transfer markets. This is one place we think there are attractive opportunities for people to look at.
0: So Vishy, we've just been talking about some parts of the market where we think there is still some risk premium, you know, albeit maybe at the expense of taking on some greater complexity. But, you know, this is still a market where there's also a lot of very expensive assets. You know, maybe what do you think is the most expensive part of the U.S. fixed income market at the moment and why?
1: So the most expensive part of the U.S. fixed income market, we would say, is another part of the mortgage market which is the agency RMBS market that is in fact much larger than the market I just discussed. The agency RMBS market consists of mortgages that are guaranteed implicitly or explicitly by the U.S. government, and therefore there is no credit risk associated with them. So you're really being compensated for taking on prepayment risk, which is a negative for agency RMBS in contrast to the CRT where it is a positive. So higher prepayments hurt agency RMBS. And we think that the spreads on the agency RMBS are 15 basis points through the post financial crisis tights. Relatively speaking, the spreads on investment grade corporate credit are at the post financial crisis tights. So this is a market we think going short the agency MBS against five year treasury notes. It's very simple and straightforward trade.
0: Vishy, I think your point on the difference between the credit risk transfer part of the mortgage market and the agency mortgage market—it's it's really fascinating because I think you're right. You know, this very strong housing market that means that actual mortgage defaults are much less likely, which is rate for the credit risk transfer bonds is, you know, also meaning that people are moving houses more frequently and paying off their mortgages and increasing those so-called prepayment speeds, which is a problem for the agency, you know, mortgage market. So it's, it is, it is really fascinating how these things are linked. And, you know, the idea that it's a, a good economic market does not mean it's good for all parts of the fixed income market, even if they're nominally both related to housing.
1: Absolutely. There is indeed a substantial amount of complexity associated with CLOs, CRT, and agency RMBS. And what I'm simply arguing here is that understanding the complexity here is really worth the effort, given the potential for returns in this opportunity set. In fact, I have a a question for you along these lines of complexity. You know, volatility markets are some things one sometimes thinks of being a more complex market, and volatility has performed really well in the last some several months. Where do you see opportunities in the world of volatility?
0: I think what you have seen is actually a, a somewhat maybe surprising dynamic where even though there's been a lot of central bank supports for markets, the level of expected volatility uh, across a lot of different asset classes has remained quite high. But, you know, investors in these markets don't look complacent and they've repeatedly consistently been pricing levels of expected volatility, implied volatility higher than what's actually happening in the market. And so, you know, what that's meant is that you've had this really kind of interesting persistent risk premium where more volatility is expected in these markets than actually occurs. That risk premium turns into returns for investors who sell that volatility or who take advantage of that, and that's been a really persistent risk premium over the last year, even as a lot of other risk premiums have kind of had more mixed experience. So, I, I think it's really interesting. I think it's something that still persists, where um, you know levels of volatility have have still fallen a lot less than. Other um, valuations across the market have richened. You know, volatility is still relatively high, for example, relative to levels of credit spread, which are are historically tight. And, you know, I do think that this is a great example of something that's more complex. It's something that's, you know, a little bit maybe less popular uh, among investors, but is, I think, an example of something that is not as expensive in a world where
1: a lot of other stuff is. Andrew, can you talk about opportunities in other markets and equities and other markets that you're seeing?
0: Yeah, so we think this is a pretty good environment for stocks in Europe. Um, And I mentioned 2004 because you really kind of have to go back to 2004, 2005, 2006 to find a period where European stocks were consistent outperformers versus the U.S. But when we think of the economic environment, we think You know, what we're forecasting on growth might be more similar to conditions back then than what we've had more recently when European equities have really lagged. And so it remains our top international region in equities and where we're expecting the best risk adjusted returns over the next 12 months. I also think that investors should be thinking that the big move, the beta move um, for the market's probably over. You know, in 2004 and in 2010, you you saw more micro-related themes, you saw more relative value-related themes play a much bigger role in the market. And so, you know, I think that's something that our colleagues have been spending a lot of time on and will continue to do. You know, what, what will the economy look like after COVID? How permanently shifted are trade dynamics between the U.S., China? and other countries? Are we moving towards a more multipolar world when it comes to trade and whether or not the pandemic has accelerated an adoption of technology that might otherwise have taken much longer? I think these are really interesting themes that are going to persist for some time. So Vishy, I'm very confident we're going to have plenty to talk about for the months and years ahead. Thanks, Andrew. Always fun to talk to you. Vishy, great to speak to you as well. As a reminder, if you enjoy Thoughts of the Market, please take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. It helps more people find the show. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or a solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you. Due to the nature of the fixed income market, the issuers or bonds of the issuers recommended or discussed in this report may not be continuously followed. Accordingly, investors must regard this report as providing standalone analysis and should not expect continuing analysis or additional reports relating to such issuers or bonds of the
1: issuers.